Exciting week for all of us who who know Christ as our Savior. The week of His resurrection, uh, His death, His burial, His resurrection. Of course, on this coming Lord's Day, it's going to be a little different for a lot of us because we're not able to go into our places of worship to to fellowship together. And and I thought it was interesting that today's topic, as as it falls in our line of doing these services has to do with Jesus coming to preach the gospel. Mm. And isn't that really what this whole uh, whole week is all about? It, you know, Christmas is all about it. This whole Holy Week is all about it. It's Christ coming to preach the gospel. And to me, that is absolutely uh, essential for this Holy Week for us to be able to do that, to share and preach the gospel. I'm Pastor Harold Noyes, pastor of the Community Christian Church. We are located in Athens, Vermont. And also we have Pastor Tim Golden. He is pastor of Life on Main in Charlestown, New Hampshire. And it's our delight to be able to present to you once again, Hotline Ministry. I'm going to ask Tim if he would open in prayer. And then we're going to be going into uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, and start our discussion. So Tim, would you open in prayer, please, for us? Sure thing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for allowing us a privilege to be able to come into people's homes, albeit primarily over the internet today, uh, though we'll be on TV eventually. Um, but we do uh, ask that you'd be in this time together, that you would speak to our hearts loud and clear as we do probe into this topic of what exactly the gospel is and what it is that you came to really do um, that is such good news for us. And uh, we just ask you to have at this time, speak to our hearts in a mighty way in Jesus name. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, Tim. All right, let's turn to uh, Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19 and get our discussion started on Jesus came to preach the gospel. Jesus came to preach the gospel. And really, you know, as we read this portion of scripture, it's going to be very interesting to see what the gospel is. You know, and we really want to explain today what the gospel that Jesus came to preach is. So Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to be set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So if we go back to verse 18, just for a second, Tim, to be able to go back there and see, okay, what is the gospel? And what, what power does the gospel have? First of all, to anoint me to preach the gospel. So Tim and I you know, have been, given the ministry of preaching the gospel, Jesus came to preach the gospel. But you know something, each and every one who know Christ as Savior have been called to do the very same thing, right, Tim? I mean, all of us have been called, uh, I think Paul says, young Timothy, all of us have been called to be evangelists. And what Absolutely. does that mean? 
Yeah, in fact, uh, when we think about that, that concept of uh, that we've all been called to preach the gospel. What do, what is that? I mean, that word that we use for gospel uh, comes from word uh, euangelion, which is just a really fun word to say. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad he said it. But what the word means is good news, and that is what the gospel is. Gospel is good news, and um, the reason it is such good news is because we were in a pretty destitute place before Jesus came. And without the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would still be in that very lonely, hopeless state of living. And so we want to make sure that we really seek um, the face of God and understand that his coming to earth and wanting to be involved in our lives is actually a very good thing because it brings life and life abundantly to us. You know, I think, Tim, what's really interesting is in this portion, for example, in Luke chapter four, the way that Jesus starts his conversation where and we know that Jesus is the one speaking in verses 18, uh, verses 18 and 19, where it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So to preach the gospel, if we try to preach the gospel without the spirit of Christ leading us to preach the gospel, what happens there? What, what, you know, why is it so important for us to say the spirit of the Lord is upon us? Otherwise, we're just full of a bunch of hot air. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, we, we really are just, it's, it's just our opinion. Um, so I can't convince anybody that they need Jesus. I can't convince anybody of the good news of the gospel. That is the Holy Spirit's role. What we are as his people is nothing more than messengers. Mm -hmm. he, he is the message. And it is he that will actually put the power in the words that we have to say. It's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction to the heart. Uh, as scripture says that he actually sees the heart and actually probes uh, and, and divides um, our thoughts and our, you know, from our uh, spirit and from our heart that we would be able to, that he could see it for what it is. And so for him to know, I can't know, for instance, what's going on in your head right now, nor would I want to. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit knows where I'm coming from, exactly what's been going on in my mind and in my heart. And so when we as his messengers come forward and speak to somebody, it is just words. It's just a bunch of syllables put together. But when the Holy Spirit breathes into it, it can bring life that can actually transform the heart of an individual. You know, I find it very interesting because I know that you probably do this too, as well as I is, you know, I have, for example, when we were meeting together as a church body, a, a band of people that on Tuesday morning, they pray for you and I mm -hmm. as we come together to do this broadcast, because this broadcast would be absolutely worthless if we did not ask the Spirit of God to be directing our thoughts, directing what it is we say, how it is we say it, so that when we go over the airwaves, hearts and minds of those that are listening will be touched mm. and as tim so beautifully said we can't touch anybody i can't you know i can't convince anybody i can't do anything so i think it's very interesting that even jesus which to me is a, just a marvel jesus being the son of god being god himself still depended 
upon the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to work and to lead in his life. And why is that so important to me? Well, it's so important. Well, first of all, even just going back just a little bit, it's even though Jesus was God, Scripture tells us that he um, took off his authority, he took off everything, and he came in the very nature of a man. So he had the ability to come as nothing but God, but he chose to set aside his glory to show us what it really means to live by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to know what it means to have to rely on him to be able to direct our steps, to be able to direct our movements and our actions, and to be able to actually uh, speak life through the words that we say, rather than us just coming and saying it ourselves. So the power that comes from this is this simple fact, I'm not God, and you're not God. And even Alex, who right now is, you know, in another location filming this for us, isn't God. Um, but the Holy Spirit working through us can bring about the same results as Christ had had because we have the same power. You know, I find this week so interesting for me, um, not only as a preacher, not only as a Christian, but in, in, in my human realm, to think of Jesus Christ not only as God himself, but not only as the Son of God, but also to think of Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. So that that puts a whole new light on what happened last Sunday, for example, doing being Palm Sunday and, and him walking or riding the donkey down the, the streets of, of uh, Jerusalem and having people cry Hosanna and, and all of this and, and putting down their robes, you know, and everything, all that happening, knowing that in a week or in less than a week, five days, knowing that in five days, many of that same group instead of shouting hosanna would be shouting crucify him mm. you know i just when i picture this this whole week saying wow jesus knew that mm. he knew that those people would turn on him in an instant mm -hmm. you know but he was man yeah see that's so important yeah, because I mean, as it went on to say, because uh, we do so many times we hear about just the triumphal entry and the shouting Hosanna and um, all that. We talked about this actually at Life on Main uh, this week uh, was the, the four different responses that really happened the course of that event. But as you so wonderfully put, he, he knew, he understood because at the very next portion, if you were to look at look that passage up in Luke chapter 19, it right after it gets done talking about how they responded, it says that Jesus wept over the city. Yeah. And the reason he wept, he says, if you only knew who was before you right now. So again, we see this aspect that he was actually able through the power of the Holy Spirit to look at the heart and see the heart of individuals, which I think was the God part of him, you know, than the man part, because I can't look into a person's heart, but Jesus was able to. And, um, and, the Holy Spirit really um, enlightened that more and more and more for him. And uh, so that he did know full well. And we know that he knew everything uh, that was going to be happening. I mean, even later on, as you know, when we go into Mont what's known as Maundy Thursday this week, you know, or the time of the Last Supper, 
And Jesus is looking at Peter and telling him, guess what? Before tonight's over, you're going to deny me three times. And uh, he knew that Judas was going to go and betray him. You know, none of this stuff took him by surprise at all. And uh, But yet, at the same token, he went through it just the same. And that, for me, is mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah to me it is. And, and for, for us to be able to read, for example, in verse 18 of Luke 4, where Jesus goes and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And to me, that is just so, so wonderful because what stage was the Jesus still living in? He was still living under the law. Mm -hmm. He was still living under what the Jews had in the, in the Old Testament you know, thou shalt not, and, and all of that. So he was still living under all of that, yet he's now saying, I have come to present to you a whole brand new economy, so to speak, or a, a whole brand new age of time, which you and I now live in the age of grace. We're no longer under the age of law. We are under the age of grace. Coming from the, the point of Jesus' resurrection to the point of the rapture, this is now the age of grace where you and I live. And Jesus said, I have been, been anointed to come and to fulfill the law, to complete the law, not do away with it, but to complete the law so that I can now bring you to an age of grace. And really, as I look at the gospel, what is the gospel full of? The gospel is full of grace. Mm -hmm. But in that, Jesus in his in his humanity, you look at it, I mean, went through some horrible things for you and me so that we can live under his grace and under his mercy. Mm -hmm. I find that just absolutely mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. You know, Easter just, I don't know, to me, it's just like an exciting time. You know, even beyond Christmas, to me, it's an exciting time. Absolutely. And the, the nice, the, the, thing we need to realize too is that as you said as well that we're, you know the old testament was the age of the law and now we're in the age of grace but to understand that what we are not saying here is that somehow or another god changed that that he went from being a god of uh ju judgment and wrath to a god of grace and mercy he was the same God. I mean, the, the things we see taking place through the life of Christ were prophesied throughout the Old Testament. These were things that were put into place back in Genesis. And you read through all of the, the prophets and, and you will see, especially with the prophets like um, Isaiah, you know, or, or Daniel, you know, you see that he, that, that God's ultimate plan was this day of grace was to come. Uh, that we would be living under. So his character has been the same across time. And so he was really a God of grace, even though we weren't under the law of grace at that point. And uh, so just I want to make sure everybody understands that's listening that he is still the same God. He has not changed, uh, but we are definitely in an age of grace now. But their means of salvation the, you know, the Old Testament Jews, the Old Testament uh, nation of Israel. So the means of their salvation has not changed from the means of how you and I get saved or how you and I come to salvation. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming. We 
have the great opportunity of looking back and seeing what the Messiah had done. Mm -hmm. So we see the finished work which he's done, where the Jews were looking for the finished work for Christ to do. Tim, you mentioned the book of Isaiah, and, and I want to go over to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, only because what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, is, is quoting from the prophet Isaiah this prophecy. All right? Now, what is prophecy? Prophecy certainly is God sharing with us or giving to us something that is going to happen. And to me, it's so neat because, because it has. And to be a real prophet, what you say has to come true every single time. And Jesus Christ, what he said, came true every single time. He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't say, oh, wait a minute, I messed that up. No, 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 that didn't happen. So give me that Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and I'll just read these so that you see. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. The Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek or the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So what we're seeing is Jesus now proclaiming exactly what the prophet Isaiah had said 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years before him. Mm -hmm. So he's going to say, look, now God is now bringing to light. God now is going to bring this to pass what had been promised in some 1,500 or 2,000 years before. And to me, that is just so needed. So why is it called gospel? Gospel is good news. Now, what is the good news? If I go back to Luke chapter 4, verse 18, or stay even in Isaiah 61, we would see this. What did he do? He said, I came that I would um, preach the gospel to the poor or to the meek, that I would be sent to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are that are uh, bruised. So if we can just look at these, Tim, for just a, a moment, what's it mean to preach the gospel to the poor? Why did he need to, what kind of poor is he talking about? Well, we have to go back to probably about three years ago uh, when we actually did an extensive study on the book of Matthew, <laughs> where we will not go again for the next three years. But um, when we started that off, we started off with the Beatitudes, which were a portion of uh, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And there Jesus talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. And it's, and it's realizing that when, when Jesus is referring to, and when the scripture is referring to the poor in this um, instance, especially, he is talking about those that are spiritually destitute. Mm -hmm. It's not about a physical poor. It's not that they were economically deprived, that they had all lost their jobs, much as what we're seeing in the world right now. But it was dealing with the fact that he has come to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to preach good news to those that were spiritually destitute, which is what makes it good news. And that's something a lot of people don't understand is to really understand the good news of the gospel. You first have got to get to this point 
where you understand how destitute you really are. So in essence, before you know the good news, you got to know the bad news. And the bad news is that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are righteous. We all deserve to be in hell when we die. We don't deserve to be with Jesus because of our sin. And we don't like to use that word sin anymore. We don't hear churches preach about it, but we need to get back to an understanding that of what sin is and call it what it is, not to cast judgment on one another, but to help us come to the reality that this is our current state. It's like if somebody was, you know, you know, you had the experience just, you know, six months ago of with, with the cancer, you know, had you denied that you had cancer, what would have happened? Right. You might not be here today, you right. know, but you acknowledged where you were, you understood your condition. And so what would you do? You went to where you could get the help that was needed and you were given some good news, you know, of yep. some treatments that could be given. And you went through with those things and what happened? God through his great miraculous work, not just the miracles of medicine, but God's miracle work, um, brought healing to your life. And it's the same way in the kingdom of God. We have got to get to that point where we understand we have a spiritual cancer called sin. We can deny it. We can rename it. We can call it, we can try to preach tolerance. So just pretend it's all fine. But all that does is that just leaves us at a point where that cancer will totally destroy us. So we have to understand we have the cancer. But then when we know that, no, you need a treatment, but here's the good news. Jesus is the cure for your spiritual cancer. Absolutely. In, in fact, I, I love the progression here uh, in this portion, as in Isaiah 61, because the progression is, okay, I'm telling you that you're poor. You are, you are hopelessly poor if you're without Jesus Christ. In other words, that means I am hopelessly lost if I don't know Christ as my personal Savior. What that should do, at least in my perspective, Tim, is that what that should do is that should make me come to a brokenhearted um, position. Why? Because, wait a minute, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against the one who loves me so much. I remember the day, I remember the day when I trusted Christ on August 19, 1969. By the way, for you young, young people, that was a time in history, right? In August 19, 1969, when, when I finally come to grips that I was lost, that I was eternally lost, that I needed to repent and ask Jesus to come into my heart, I was literally brokenhearted. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I wept like an uncontrollable baby. I was brokenhearted. But, but what does it say that he did? It says, I was sent to heal the brokenhearted. And that is exactly what he's done for me. He has, when Patty and I, when I was given the, the, the thing about cancer, you know, it really didn't seem real. It didn't seem real until Dr. Patterson called up and said, by the way, and, and he's a Christian, by the way, he said, the Lord kept me awake all night saying to me, go check Harold's scans again. There's something you missed. So amazing that, that God would just keep this doctor. So he he get up early. He went to the office. He called me at 7 a.m. He got to the office. He looked at my scan and he says, "Oh, it's metastasized." 
So he called me up and said, Harold, your cancer has metastasized in your femur bone. Patty and I were together when we got that call. And that is when it became real. It wasn't real when Dr. Schaefer said to me, oh, your PSA is up, or even real when I saw Dr. Patterson at first. What became real is when he said, you don't know how serious this is. Can I ask you a question, Harold? Yeah. Um, my question is this. When he gave you that bad news, did you look at him and get angry with him? Did, did, did you, you know, ridicule him for, for trying to tell you that you had cancer? No, matter of fact, I'll tell you what, what happened to, to Patty and me. When that became so real that we embraced and cried. Now, I'm not embarrassed to tell you that when it came to the realization that Patty and I wept. Now, we're both believers. We both know Christ the Savior. You know, we know that the future's in, in his hands, but we wept. We were brokenhearted. But what did Jesus say? I came to heal the brokenhearted. So even though I have cancer, and I still have it, even though I have cancer, guess what? I'm not brokenhearted anymore. Why? Because he has given me the cure, not only from the radiation, but the cure of knowing, hey, it's all in his hands. So therefore, even though my heart was broken, you know, thinking, oh, no, I'm going to leave my kids, my grandkids, my wife. No, even though my heart is broken, God then gave us a peace. God then gave us a comfort in our hearts where, hey, we can live with this. And God's going to conquer this one way or the other. So, you know, so he goes and he shows us we're poor in spirit, which makes us brokenhearted. But God says, I came to heal the brokenhearted. And, and both Patty and I can really say that that is exactly what we experience is the healing to a brokenhearted. And then you go to the third part to preach deliverance to the captive. So I was captive under cancer. But guess what? I'm delivered. Now, does that mean I'm cancer free? No, I will never be cancer free till I get to heaven. All right, that's the kind of cancer I have. But I've been delivered. So how have I been delivered, Tim? I've been delivered because I know whom I have believed. And I know that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. Mm -hmm. So he has delivered me from that. Yeah, and the, the freeing us from, freeing the captives, the, the greatest um, captivity you would have experienced would not have even been the cancer itself. But what you would have allowed that to do in your mind in mm -hmm. your heart, in your spirit, with your relationship with God, you know, if we get that point where it's like we just, where we choose to embrace the hopelessness rather than embracing the fact that, you know, what our God's in control. And as I know you had said numerous times on this program during uh, that season in your life, that, um, that no matter what happens, I win. Yeah. If God heals me here, I win. But you know what? If he doesn't heal me and this takes me home to heaven, I win because there I will there will be no more pain and I will be with my savior forever and ever. So there, there was a no lose 
in, in this when you know the name of Christ. And, and that's, an, again, another piece of that good news. And that's the liberating thing, because you see so many people, when they get um, the bad word from the doctor, and you know we know that right now in this nation, there's a lot of people today that will get the bad news that they've contracted COVID-19. You know, but the thing is, what will happen with that news? Will we allow it to drag us down? Will we allow it to um, begin to overwhelm us and overtake us? Or will we choose to take that news, turn it over into the hands of the Father, and begin to say, Lord, I trust you with where I am at. Will you minister to me? Will, will you bring your healing here? Um, you know, direct the doctors if that's what you're going to use, but whatever you're going to do, do what you want to do. And there's a liberation that comes when we learn to cast all of our cares and all of our anxiety upon Jesus, knowing that he cares for us enough to die for us. Yeah, I, I you know, I know personally, Tim, and I'm sure you do too, you know, in all that you've gone through in the last year or so, you know, with the passing of your mom and so forth, that it is so liberating to know that, okay, you know, I'm poor in spirit. Why? Because, because I'm a sinner. However, even though I'm poor in spirit because I'm a sinner, he sent, he was sent to heal my broken heart. All right. He was sent to deliver me from the captivity of my sin. If I had allowed my sin to take over, that my flesh to take over, then certainly you know, I would be saying, woe is me, I don't deserve cancer, and all of this. I I remember one time talking to Pastor Hansen, the old fellow who pastored my church before I. In fact, he stayed with us 20 years while we were here. And I would talk to Pastor Hansen, and I just love that man so much. Talk to him, and, and I'd say, oh, man, I'm going through this. And he would look at me, and he said, Harold, why not you? Why not you? You know, so many people ask me, why me? Maybe we ought to ask the question, why not me? Because you see, I'm no better than anybody else. So why should I not have to go through cancer? Or why should I not have to go through the trials and the tribulations that everybody else went through? Because you know something? Jesus went through them all for me. He was tempted like us in everything. So if he did, then certainly we have to too. But we need to see we need to understand that we were brokenhearted he came to heal our broken heart he came to deliver me from from captivity and he came to recover the sight of the blind and here's the key to the whole thing isn't it Tim? that he recovered our sight he took away our blindness what was i blind to i was blind to the fact of who jesus christ truly is i used to be taught in a particular church, and I'm not going to say who the, what the church is. Or the, I was taught in this particular church that God is some mean, angry, grumpy old man. That every time I did something wrong, he was there with a belt or with a whip to, to knock me down. Guess what? That's not who God is at all. That's not. And when I, when I come to know Christ as my personal Savior, I came to recognize, wait a minute, he came to recover my sight to truly be able to see him for who he is. And that's what Jesus Christ did. And to me, that's what this whole Passion Week is all about. Mm -hmm. To see, as we started this program, that yes, Jesus Christ is a man, but Jesus Christ is all God. Mm -hmm. and, and to be able to look at that. And it's this incredible fact that scripture says that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. It wasn't after we got our lives straightened out that he died. It was when we were in our worst state of being that he died for us. You know, and, and as I said, like with Palm Sunday that we just came out of, he went through uh, the whole process knowing the people were blind still, even after all of those three years of ministry. The, this passage that, you, that we're reading from when, when he stated that um, the anointing of the whole of the Lord is upon me. This was spoken at the very offset of when he was getting ready to start his ministry. And now here he is at the end of his, his earthly ministry, and they still were blind. They still were not getting it completely. Um, and it wasn't just them. We have Peter who didn't get it the, the night before he was betrayed. Judas didn't get it, you know. Um, he then gets crucified. None of the apostles got it because they all went into hiding until the resurrection came. And then they, you know, Jesus began to appear to them for another 40 days. And, you know, there was something that changed within them. But um, so I think as long as we're in this earthly body, it's understanding, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that now we see us through a glass dimly. Um, we don't understand completely. We still, no matter how close we get to God, there's still going to be a level of nearsightedness, farsightedness that we're going to have, maybe for some of us, total outright blindness. But the thing is, we keep moving forward and keep letting him restore that sight to us as, as we move along. You know, I love that word where he talks about recovering the sight of the blind. And, what he, you know, and, and isn't that how we are today? I mean, there there were days, for example, when we were just talking about when I had, you know, when I was was given the news of my cancer. For a moment, for a very short season, and I'm really praise God it was only for a short season, you know, when all of a sudden it settled in, hey, this is real. You know, I'm going to have to go through the whole process of everything of this cancer thing. You know, I became blinded for a moment. But praise God, he recovered me from my blindness to be able to set my eyes, focus them back on him mm -hmm. as my deliverer, as mm -hmm. the one who liberates me. And the same thing would be in poor in spirit. When I came to know that Harold Noyes is a sinner and that I had sinned against God, what did God do? God opened my eyes to see, wait a minute, even though I am a sinner, I have someone who paid for my sin, who took the price of my sin upon Calvary's tree and died for me in his name is Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he recovered the sight of the blind. And I love the last part of this, Tim, as that he has set at liberty them that are abused. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Who abuses them? Satan abuses us. Mm -hmm. We let the old man abuse us. But praise God, God has set us at liberty, them that are abused. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say today that I am a very, very free, very liberated man. I, I remember my wife, she was teaching a ladies conference. And at the end of that conference or sometime during that conference, Patty related this to me, a woman raised her hand and said, can I ask you a question? Patty said, sure. And the lady asked her, she said, you made a statement in this conference that you are the freest woman in the world. How can you say that? 
I mean, you were a pastor's wife, you were this, you know, you go through all these other things. And she said, I can tell you, I'm the freest woman or the most liberated woman in the world. Why? Because when I am doing exactly what Jesus Christ has called me to do, I'm at perfect liberty. Mm. And you want to read more about that, go into the into Galatians. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. For brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Now, if I know we get a, just a few moments left. What we need to do is we need to say, this liberty is not license. And we need to recognize that. There's a difference between liberty and license. And Tim, what, what is that? What, what is the difference between liberty and license? Liberty carries with it a concept of responsibility. There's no such thing as freedom apart from responsibility. I mean, we see that as a nation. We're probably one of the most blessed nations as far as having freedom. But with that freedom does not just come a license to do things. It comes with a responsibility and accountability attached to it. Because um, too much was paid for the freedom. That, that we have been given. And the same thing is true with, with our Christianity. Too much was paid for the freedom that we have. We didn't have to pay it. Jesus paid it on the cross. But there's a heavy price paid for that. And with this freedom does not just come a license to do what we want. Like freedom of speech, for instance, in our nation, is I think a, probably one of the best examples I think that we can look at right now. Because unfortunately, it appears as you look at a lot of our liberal media and things of that nature, that people take this concept of freedom of speech and figure I have a license to say whatever it is I want to say. But, and, and, and there's an aspect of that that may be true, but that license comes with a certain level of responsibility to not just be flippant, to not abuse that freedom, but to actually use it in a right way. And, and to know that there's a, and you can't do that without understanding the price that was paid to give you that freedom. When you understand the price that was paid, you want to treat that freedom with, with uh, great care. Um, otherwise, we, we tend to treat it very flippant. I, I think of a story. It was um, a, a gentleman who had, uh, was doing a uh, marriage uh, seminar. And what he did is he brought out this violin, the bow was broken, you know, the, the bridge was broken, the, the, um, the neck of it was also busted, and the strings were just kind of hanging there. And he just passed around this old dilapidated case, and uh, people were just kind of looking at it, it's like, yeah, whatever, pass it on to the next person. Got about halfway around the circle, and he said, what you're holding in your hand right now is a Stradivarius. Now, for those that don't understand, that means this instrument had great, great, great value, even though it was broken, even though it was in terrible uh, disarray. But as soon as the, the music students heard that this was a Stradivarius, they were like, began to handle it as though it was a piece of gold. Um, what was in their hands hadn't changed, but their perception of it did. And I think it's the same way with our freedom. If we don't have this understanding of the price that was paid, how priceless it is, we tend to treat it like it's just a piece of junk. When you know the price that was paid, you treat it with care, you treat it with respect, you value it, and you want to make sure others see the value that you place in it. And we need to have that with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and certainly I see today, and you know, 
from within the church, and I'm and I'm looking from within the church because I've been, you know, that's been a big part of my life for 50 years. That it just seems to me that sometimes we take the liberty God has given to us and we abuse it by using our license, mm-hmm. and and we need to be able to see the the cost as Tim is so beautifully put for us. We need to see the cost that was involved. I want to look at verse 19, because then I want, we need to go into, into 1 Corinthians 15. And it says, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. When is the acceptable year of the Lord? That's right now. The word of God says that today is the day of salvation. If you're watching Tim and I today on Hotline Ministry and saying, well, I'm beyond salvation. I'm beyond, you are not beyond salvation. Today, I can promise you that if you were to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you would have recognized, for example, that you're poor, that you are a sinner. and But Jesus Christ came to deliver you from your sin. Jesus Christ came to set you free from the power of sin, set you free that you can live in him through the Spirit of Christ in verse 18. Then you can know what the acceptable year of the Lord is in your life right now, because today is the day of salvation. How can you know that? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, verses uh, 1 through 4. And I'm going to read it for you because this is all that we're talking about this whole week, what this whole week means for us. Paul goes and says, Moreover, brethren, I declared unto you the gospel, the good news which I preached unto you, which also you have received, you had to receive it, and you stand on it, whereby we are saved. So how am I saved today? How is it that Tim and I can sit here and talk to you and say, we are saved? Just listen to this. If you keep in memory what I had preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. That is the difference between license and liberty, for example. Watch this. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that Jesus, uh, which I received of you, that Jesus died, what? For our sins. He died for our sins. We call that Good Friday. Now, why would it be called Good Friday when you have a man hanging on a cross? Because he died for my sins. He didn't die for himself. He didn't die because he was a sinner, because we know that he knew no sin. But he died for Harold Noyce's sin. He died for Tim Golden's sin. He died for your sin. And that's what you need to recognize. You who are watching, if you have never recognized the fact that Christ died for your sins, what you need to do is say, Jesus, I know today, right now, you died for my sin. So he died for our sins according to the scriptures, not according to Harold and Tim, but according to the scriptures, because God wrote it to us. Then he goes and says, not only did he die, but that he was buried. That is so important that he was buried. Not only that he was buried, but that he rose again the third day. How? According to the scriptures. So this is not just something that Tim and I have made up. Tim and I are just kind of saying, hey, how can we excite the people? No, no. This is according to the word of God. And that's what this whole week, this whole Passion Week means to us. Christ went through it. When he marched down or when he rode down through the streets of Jerusalem and people were hailing him. Why? Well, they were hailing him for the wrong reason. They were thinking he was going to deliver them from the Roman Empire, from the Roman government. But Jesus Christ was going to deliver them from something far greater. And that was their sin. 
but many people do not see it. Mm-hmm. But and, you know something? Go ahead, Tim. And I would also just say that, because I'm sure there's uh, those are out there, they're like, well, you know, yeah, I, I want to believe this, you know, but I, I, I don't think I fully understand this. And, you know, this concept of recovering sight to the blind, um, don't wait till you have it totally figured out because you never will. Right. Um, Harold and I, we've, we've both been walking with God since, I, I, you said, what, 1969? For me, yep. it's 1971. Um, we've been walking good many years. You know, I can tell you, my sight still isn't totally there yet. Don't wait till you have get it all figured out before you make a decision to follow. I think there's no coincidence that there's only one time in Scripture where you see that Jesus did not bring an instantaneous healing. You know, you had the lepers, he laid his hands on them, boom, it was done. Laymen, get up, walk, you know, they did that. But there was a blind man that he reached out and he touched his eyes and said, so tell me what you see. He said, well, I see men walking like trees. And so Jesus laid his hands on his face again. Well, was that because Jesus only did a half half the job? Well, I think there was a reason in this. It wasn't like, oops, I guess I should have kept my hands on them longer. I think what God really wanted us to understand here is, look, you're not going to get probably your sight all up front, but will you allow me to hang with you long enough to be able to keep touching your eyes till you get that full sight? Take a chance with them. Go with what you know. Go with what you see right now and begin that relationship with Christ. You know, I thought it was very interesting. Last Sunday, I did a broadcast um you know over the internet and i was talking to a young man afterwards and he was just saying pastor you know i had never seen that in that portion of scripture before and i had to be honest with the young man and say neither had i but god was showing it to me so he writes me back and he says i am so excited to know that even after 50 years of ministry you're still learning you're still being able to see new things. And, and I have to be, you know, I have to tell you that, that you know, as I read the word of God every day, God shows us new things. Did he change? No. But the concept or, or that which he's, he's just allowing me to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into the actual truth of what he has given to me. Mm-hmm. At first, as Tim so beautifully said just a moment ago, at first, I just saw the elementary parts. I just saw the surface parts. But now, as I've learned to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into God, I tell you what, it is amazing how how instead of just with squinting eyes at first, now my eyes are wide open like mighty Feldman, you know, just big eyes just seeing what Jesus Christ has done for me. And that's what this passion, that's why this passion week to me is so exciting to be able to see in a, the bigger picture of what Jesus Christ did for me. He died for me. He was buried for me. He rose for me. What's really neat, if you go further into this First Corinthians passage, he doesn't just stay there. All he says is, and he was seen of Cephas, which would be Peter, and then of the 12, and then about 500 at one time. So this is not a, this is not just a make-believe story. This is not just a myth. This is not just something that somebody wrote to get us excited. There are eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. We were talking about being blind before, remember? How about the two guys on the road to to Emmaus? Mm. Jesus walked with the the road to Emmaus and and with these two guys, and 
walk from Jerusalem to, to their house. And I don't know how far that is, but they were discussing, they were talking, they were doing this. It wasn't until they sat down to eat with him that their eyes were open and they saw who Jesus Christ is. So I'm seeing, even after 50 years, a deeper meaning for my life as to who Jesus Christ truly is. And I think that that's what he means when he says he delivered the captive. He has set us free. He's opened the eyes. He's opened, he's healed the heart. He, he's doing all of this so that I can embrace him more and more and more every day. I love Jesus more today than I did yesterday. And I'm hoping that I will love him more tomorrow than I do today. Isn't it amazing? That's exactly who Jesus Christ is. Mm -hmm. Well, I see that probably our time is pretty much uh, ended here, but I, I just want you to rejoice. Look, Resurrection Day is real. Let's start living. Tim, you got any closing thoughts, Tim? Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I just want you to, to you know just keep in touch with us here at Hotline. Um, when when things get back to normal, our church, Community Christian Church, is uh, 27 Brookline Road in Athens, Vermont. We have services at 9:30 every Sunday morning. We'll have services six o'clock Sunday night, seven o'clock Wednesday night. We have Bible studies during the week. When things get back to normal, we'd love to see you. We'd love to fellowship with, with you. We'd love to be able to sing God's praises with you as well as pray with you. We'd love to just be able to spend time with you. So just keep in touch with us. Keep watching Hotline Ministry. And and just, uh, you know, we'd love to see you when, when all of this is over, Tim. And you can also find Harold uh, on Facebook. Uh, he does do his messages over there. Uh, go to uh, just look up Harold Noise um, right there on Facebook. And you, I'm sure he'll be happy to be your friend. Uh, so, right, exactly. <laughs> and you can watch his messages. As for us, we actually have a page over there. It's called um, facebook.com slash life on main. Uh, you can watch our Sunday morning broadcast. We're also every day throughout this week, we are doing um, a special uh, broadcast um, dealing with each of the days uh, the, of what Jesus went through um, or some of the events that took place leading all the way up through the crucifixion as well as Saturday and then, of course, our Sunday message. Um, but again, find that on Facebook.com. We also have a YouTube channel just look for Life on Main there. Uh, when we get back to normal, we meet at 176 to 188 Main Street in downtown Charlestown, 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We would love to see you there, but not until COVID lifts. <laughs> let me let me just close with this with this thought. This is found in First Corinthians 15, verses 57 through 58. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we are on the victory side. Man. And then he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you in the name of Jesus Christ.